Like, can we give them a big hand? Thank y'all so much. It's awesome. <clears throat> and again, that, that's, I, I wanted y'all to hear from them. And I'm so encouraged by the stories that I get to hear out of the counseling ministry because I just wanted you to see. Here's an example. Two years ago, this was a dream. This was a vision that this church had. And now this counseling center is alive and God is working through it in really, really impactful and powerful ways. And, and what I wanna do today is take a look with you at where the leadership of the church feels like we're being led, things that we're being led to pursue as we look to the future. And, and we were calling this kind of vision frame, Pursue Atlanta. One of the things we've said from the beginning is we wanna have, we want Christ's covenant to be a culture of pursuit. We, we don't wanna be the kind of church that says, hey, look, we're here, we have resources, you can pursue us if you want to. But rather, we wanna be the kind of church that says, no, we're gonna pursue you. We're gonna pursue one another. The leadership is going to pursue the church's members. The members are gonna pursue one another. And then as members, we're gonna pursue people that are around us in the city of Atlanta. And, and we're capturing this kind of idea of pursue Atlanta under three big headings. And if you have your little books, go ahead and grab them. And I just wanna walk you through this um, kind of vision frame as we get started today. And then we'll dive into the Lord's word together. But the first kind of big idea is pursuing maturity. God's done so much in our church in the past three years of its existence, but we just wanna continue to, as a body, pursue maturity, continue to pursue maturity as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And there's three big kind of areas that we wanna capture in this. If you'll turn to page 10 and 11, we want our group's ministry to continue to, to mature. We have about 40 different groups here. It's amazing. And, and so often when I talk to people, they say, man, the group's ministry, it's so impacted me. But there's not really one pastor or shepherd kind of leading our group's ministry right now. It's, it's a shared effort. And in order for us to continue to, to really thrive in that area, train group leaders, have the right curriculum, uh, multiply groups, make sure our group leaders are equipped, we, we really need someone that is devoted to shepherding just that part of our ministry as we continue to mature. We wanna mature in our student and college ministries. Now, I, I, want, I asked the first service this question, I wanna ask it to you. Who of you during student or college ministry or both was greatly impacted in your relationship with Christ? Who of you was that a catalytic kind of part of your life? Raise your hand, yeah. The same as the first service, most of the room. That was a huge part of your life. So we wanna continue to invest resources and, and personnel in that part of our church. It's been amazing to see what the Lord has done in our student ministry just over the past uh, few months under Graham's leadership, just some focused leadership there. God has really given fruit. And then the last one, there's not really a you know financial investment here, but something that we wanna focus on in the next two years is just continuing to pursue as kingdom ambassadors. One of the things we talk a lot about is is God has called you, God has called you, Christians, to be his ambassadors. Now, there's times when the church gathers, right? We're gathered right now. And the gathering of the church is wonderful. We need the gathering of the church. We're gonna talk about how essential this is. But you know what's about to happen? In about 45 minutes or so, we're gonna scatter. And that's when the work begins. That's when you go out to all this city and, and you go to different neighborhoods and workplaces. And in that place, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you are a temple. You are where God wants to make his presence and glory manifest. And so we just wanna to continue to equip you in that and encourage you to that incredibly important role that God has given to you as kingdom ambassadors. If you look to the next page, and I'm gonna talk more about this next week, 
but we wanna pursue our place in the city. Uh, as you see here, Christ Covenant has been a nomadic group, right? And we're happy to be a nomadic group. We've enjoyed the different places that we've worshiped. Um, but I, the, the leaders of the church, and, and I, I agree, we, we believe that we need some sort of stable environment for weekday ministry, for worship ministry, uh, as we continue. Now, here's the deal. I, we don't have like, there's not gonna be like a big rendering or anything. Maybe one day there will be, but I don't have like a plan. We don't have anything to present to you guys. We just, at, over the next two years, we hope, we pray, and I hope you're joining us with this, in praying that God will give us some sort of stable place to worship and to do ministry. That could be a long-term lease. That could be an existing church building that we kind of refurbish. It could be, you know, buying a building or we don't know. You know, I always say my hope is that God would just give us a building with no deferred maintenance, you know, and just let us have it. But that may not happen. And if it doesn't happen, we wanna be responsible. And so kind of what we've been doing and we've been doing this over the last two years is just putting away a little money every month into kind of a long-term savings account. Um, it's kind of like, you know, in the old days when you had to have a bunch of money saved up to buy a house, I guess it's getting more and more like that. You had to store away money to have a decent down payment. That's what we're trying to do as a church. Just have uh, as much capital as we have saved up if the Lord ever presents some sort of long-term ministry space for us. And then the last kind of big focus, and we'll talk about this more in two weeks, is we wanna pursue missional impact. It's an amazing to see how the Lord has used you as a church in our city and around the world. And we just wanna see this continue. And again, I'm gonna talk about this more in a few weeks, but we wanna be the kind of church that doesn't just support missionaries and support church planters, but that's sending church planting team and sending missionaries out from our church. We wanna be the kind of church that so prepares you and so equips you that God, when God calls you and God's gifted you, we're there and ready to say, hey, go and start this church. Go and move to this place where there is no gospel witness and be a gospel witness. And so how are we gonna continue to multiply ourselves in missional impact? And so what we're asking you to do, and, and today kind of begins the journey. Um, if you'll flip to kind of the last page here, I know the response is page 22 and 23. Um, Really, it's kind of four takeaways. Um, and, and again, this is like, none of this is super rocket science. The first one's just be a good church member. <laughs> but be a good church member. You know, 2020 has been a year, I've talked to a lot of you, and I know 2020 has been the year that's been easy to fall out of rhythm, right? Who of you have fallen out of rhythm, you don't even have to raise your hand, in one area of your life, your church rhythm, your spiritual rhythm, your family worship rhythm, just your workout rhythm, your, your diet's bad. It's, 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 it's been bad for a lot of us. I'm, I'm right in there with you. It's been easy to fall out of rhythm this year. It's just been so crazy. But as members of the church, for those of you who are members, uh, we have a little slide here. You've made these covenant commitments. You're gonna be in corporate worship. You're gonna be engaged in personal devotion. You're gonna be engaged in uh, family worship. You're gonna be a faithful kingdom ambassador. You're gonna serve. And so one of these, one of the big commitments, we're just saying, look, we're gonna move forward as a church. We're gonna mature as a church as you are, as we are good church members. The second thing that we're asking you to kind of do or respond in this way is just to pray. 
Pray for these things. I hope that I'm not the only person praying. I know that I'm not, but I hope that I'm not the only person praying about the future of our church, about the ministries of our church, about our potential missional impact. And, and I don't want to say, oh, the elders will pray about that. No, we're inviting all of you to join us in prayer, to be a praying body. And then the last two have to do with just our stewardship. We, we wanna be the kind of church that is incredibly generous to the Lord's work and to the Lord's needs. And so, but we don't wanna be, you know, one of the verses that we've always focused on here, we talk about giving is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It's such a great verse. It says, look, we don't want you to give out of compulsion or thoughtlessly. You know, you ever been in something and you ever like go to one of those presentations and they tell the touching story and you haven't thought about it and you're like, oh, I'll write the check. You feel the pressure, right? That's not how I want you guys to be. That's not gonna help you grow spiritually. You're just gonna resent the church. You're gonna resent me. So we're, we're, not, we're not creating a manipulative experience here, but what we are asking you to do is to prayerfully and thoughtfully consider what God has given you and how you are called to invest those kingdom, those resources into kingdom work. And so we have a long time to do that. Uh, the, the, the day that we're kind of asking you to commit to that or, or to just kind of let us know what you're thinking there is November 15th. And on that day, we have a little card here. We'd love for you to just kind of make this commitment. But between now and then, we're inviting you into a season of thoughtful prayer, family conversation. But this is the kind of thing that you need to be talking uh, with your spouse about. And I'll even double down. It's the kind of thing you need to be talking with your friends about, your Christian friends that you know, and just say, hey, look, you know, here's kind of where we're at in our generosity. Do, do you think that's generous for us? Is, is anyone here bold enough to bring some accountability into your life and your finances? You know, I guarantee you would revolutionize. It would make you think deeply about what you have and where you're spending your resources. So bring that into the light. At least bring it underneath consideration uh, of, of prayer and God's light over the next few weeks. And then on November 15th, uh, we're just gonna ask you to make a commitment. And, and I'm so hopeful that the Lord will provide. It, this is also not one of these things where we have like some big number and say, hey, we need X number of dollars. We don't know. Like, we, I just trust you. I just trust that the Holy Spirit will work in the life of the members of our church and we'll have plenty of resources to be able to do whatever we wanna do. It's, it's, the Lord's always done that, right? I mean, we didn't even, the Lord's always done more than that. I mean, it's amazing what God has enabled us to do through your faithfulness. So that's the journey that we're inviting you on over the next three or four weeks. And we're gonna be talking more about this vision as we do. Now, to help you in this, just as a little reminder to you in this, we've given you this little wooden coin. And again, I like these kinds of things. If, you, if this is not your thing, it's okay. I, mean, you know, I don't wanna like, I don't wanna like make this, a, this is not a relic, right? This is not some sacred piece of thing. But it's just a little piece of coin that we're giving you as a reminder to be thoughtful about this, to pray about this. So I'm just gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna keep it in my pocket, right? And when I reach and grab my keys and I feel it, I'll be like, okay, I need to be praying about my church. I need to be considering where the Lord's taking us. Just as a reminder to me to be prayerful about what the Lord wants to do in my life. And I wanna join this journey with you as we look to the future of the church. So we good? You guys in? All right. Well, now I wanna, I wanna turn our attention to the word of God. And I love the passage we're gonna look at today because 
we're talking about pursuing maturity, this idea of maturity, and this is a call to maturity. That This is a call from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church just like ours that is saying to them, hey, I want, you to, I want you to be what God is calling you to be. I want you to grow into the kind of men and women that God is calling you to be. So look with me at Philippians 1, verse 3 through 11. It's gonna be our scripture reading for today, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Of course, the apostle Paul writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's receive these things as the word of Christ with gratefulness. Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this passage, I love this passage, I said, because it's a call to Christian maturity. It's a call to the church so that the church would be all that it can be, that it should be. And so as we look at this today, there's, there's three points sort of, but I'm gonna combine the first two, who we are, what God is doing in us, and how he is doing it. So I wanna start by looking who we are, who we are as Christians, who we are as followers of Jesus, and what God is doing. Now, when I was a student at Auburn, this is kind of hard to believe, but when I was a student at Auburn, we used to beat Alabama all the time, okay? Okay. We used to beat them like it was nothing. In fact, we won three out of my four years there. And then Auburn went on to win six in a row against Alabama. It was amazing. A little Auburn. We won six in a row against big Alabama. And it was Scramble Town in Tuscaloosa. Okay. They didn't know what to do. A little Auburn had their number. And so you know what Alabama did? They went out and they hired Nick Saban. And Nick Saban came into Tuscaloosa and he was able to capture this energy that they had lost and to call the University of Alabama to this greatness that really we've never seen before and maybe never will see again in the history of college football. It's just an amazing thing to watch. Now it's been, it's hard to play for Nick Saban. Um, in fact, Hunter Bryant, I saw him walking around earlier. He played for Nick Saban, just ask that guy. He'll probably tell you it's one of the hardest things he's ever done. But the fruit of it and giving his life to this and giving effort to this, God, or God, Saban, God at Alabama, Saban was able to produce in him and through him greatness. And obviously the, the great things that Alabama has been able to produce, it's been amazing. And, and kind of give you that as a little bit of an example, because I want you to hear this. 
I, and I talk to Christians all the time these days that are kind of down in the dumps, right? Oh, the world is changing. You know, it's, it's hard out there. This world is becoming more and more secular. And that, of course, that's all true. But, but I feel like in some ways we have forgotten who we are. And, and this is why corporate worship is so important. When, when you feel discouraged and when you feel like who you are in Christ is small, it's because you are more focused on worldly things than you are on heavenly things. You've forgotten who you are. This is why we need moments like this to remember, oh yeah, this is who we are. This is what God is doing. You are a gospel people. You are people, if you're in Christ, you are people that God himself, the God of the universe has called to be a people of his own possession. I love the way that 1 Peter says basically the same idea. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are God's people. If you're in Christ, you're God's people. You're a gospel people, this people that God has called to himself to bring to maturity, to work through you, to declare his own glory. The God of the universe, think about this. The universe, they estimate, the observable universe is 93 billion light years wide. 93 billion light years wide. The distance that light can travel in one year, 93 billion of that. And the God who is sovereign over every square inch of the entire universe has called you to be a people of his own possession to use for the sake of his glory. And if you really believe that, I mean, if you really believe that, that'll change everything about you. All of these things that the world says are so big, presidential elections, Supreme Court, your job, what vacation you're gonna go on, all these things that you're so consumed with. And those are important things, they're good things, but all those things the world says are so big, when you really believe that I am someone that the sovereign God over every square inch of the entire universe has called to be a people of his possession, that he is working in my life, then all of a sudden, all of those things get so small. They're so kind of dinky, (laughs) if you think about it, compared to the eternal and sovereign God. This is what you have been called to. This is who you are. This is what God is doing in your life. Now, here's the deal. What I just said, sovereign God of the universe working in your life. You've heard that before, right? You've heard that. That's not like nobody's sitting there saying like, oh my gosh, really? Orthodoxy, your orthodoxy, what you believe is good and right on that. But but do you have any orthopraxy around that? Is is that changed the way you live? Has that changed your life? I mean, I've been hearing this my whole life. When I was a kid, um, kind of like the first contemporary Christian guy that I knew about was a guy named Steve Green. You remember Steve Green, you know? And I went to like the kind of church where there was somebody that would sing a solo at the offering. And so, you know, they would always do a little offering. Somebody would sing a solo. There was always a good male vocalist. And a lot of times he would sing, he, a guy would sing like a Steve Green song. And he sang this song that was like this verse. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
So you remember, you remember the old Steve Green song? So we've been hearing that. We know that. And you know what? A lot of the same people that taught me that are some of the most fearful and discouraged and bitter people that I now know. Their orthodoxy is good. They believe verse six. They've listened to Steve Green's song. But their orthopraxy, it hasn't changed them. It hasn't called them to something else. They've become consumed, and some of you, we're all prone to this. We become consumed by lesser things, by smaller things. And this is a call to maturity. What Paul is saying here is, look, <laughs> look, the God of the universe is at work in you. He is bringing you to maturity, to completeness, to display his glory. So what does that look like? You know, what, what, what is that? What is God doing in us? And we, we see a lot of the answer to that question in verse 9 through 11. Look with me at the middle of verse 9. Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if the God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe is at work in your life, he's bringing something to completion in your life, what does that look like? What should your life look like? And here's the answer. This is what Paul is saying should be happening in your life. There's kind of these big ideas, love, knowledge and discernment, purity, and the fruit of righteousness. So I wanna talk about these, but I also wanna illustrate them for you. And we had this little conference this week, little pastor's conference. Guys from all over were here. It was really fun. And Colin Hansen, some of y'all may know Colin. He's a buddy of mine and he talked about, and we had a good follow-up conversation just about how helpful the second century church is for this moment that we're in right now. And, and I wanna illustrate all of these with, with second century Christianity. First century Christianity, as you know, apostolic heir. Third and fourth century Christianity began to have massive impact all over the whole Roman world. But second century Christianity, it was a really hard time. It was a very secular world. They were heavily persecuted. The Judaism had fallen and kind of collapsed around them with the dispersion of the Jewish people. So the Romans really had their target on Christians and on keeping Christians at bay. And yet, despite all of that, the church thrived in this beautiful way. I think in this kind of way. So the first thing we see here is love. Evidence that the God of this universe has captured you, is working in you, is that you would be filled with love, that your love would abound all the more. And this is sacrificial love toward one another, played out in real life. And I just wanna say, this is why we stress things like church membership. If, if one of the ways that God, the God of the universe, is displaying his glory in you is that your love for one another would abound more and more, there's got to be an, another. That there's got to be someone whose your love is directed. If, it's, if all Jesus is for you is some self-expression thing to consume, then, then you're, you're not growing in maturity. 
you've become enamored by smaller things. Jesus is just a help for you to live for your real God. But, but when Jesus has really taken a hold of your heart, your love for one another, your, your desire to give yourself to one another, your, your desire to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others grows and grows. It abounds all the more. You know, the second century church is a really good, it's, it's a really good illustration for us in this. Even outsiders, people that thought that Christians were insane, were really moved by the way that they looked after one another, that they loved one another. This is a very hard time to be a Christian. People didn't have a lot of money, a lot of influence, and yet, and yet Christians always tried to meet one another's needs. They would sacrifice heavily for one another. And this is a time of, of gruesome persecution. I mean, a time when literally to be, to be avowed as a Christian, to be known as a Christian could mean your death, certainly your loss of job, death of family member, and yet these groups were so known, they were so cited for being united with one another, in one another's lives. Some of y'all have heard me talk about the Antonine Plague, 160s, this massive plague kind of swept through the Roman world. Five million people died. If you were to stretch out the population of the Roman world at that time, versus the population of the world today, okay? So just kind of say, okay, global population adjusted. That would be as if today a billion people would have died. Now, the coronavirus worldwide has killed just over a million people, okay, which is tragic and horrible. But think if that number was times a thousand, okay? In some communities, a third of the population had died, and it was most severe, most intense in city populations. And so you know what people were doing? They were abandoning one another. They were getting out of the cities. They would abandon their friends. They would abandon, and sometimes, in some cases, even family members. But you know who did not do that during this Antonine Plague were these Christian communities. They stayed with one another. They cared for one another, even though it might mean them getting sick, even though it might mean them dying. And what's more is they actually stayed in and cared for other Roman citizens, the Roman citizens that were actually persecuting them. They stayed with them and cared for them when their family members and friends had abandoned. This had a massive gospel impact because their love was abounding. And I just wanna say this. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you, how do you know that the God of this universe has captured you? I'm gonna say if, if you're living for a lot of the, the gods that a lot of folks in Atlanta are living for, the God of influence, the God of success, the God of wealth. You know, I say, you know, how do you know you've made it in Atlanta? You know, you're making a deal, you're going on a great vacation and you're remodeling your home, you know? And if those, again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but if those are your, if those are your gods, when a plague comes, you'll get out of town too. But if you've been called to something that's eternal, to something that's bigger than 80 years and a nice retirement. If you really believe that your life, called by the sovereign God of the universe, has eternal implications, then your love for one another will abound all the more. This is evidence that actually God is working in you. The second thing that Paul says, this is evidence, is that you would have knowledge, right? You would have maturity. You would, you would have a knowledge of God. You'd be the kind of people that aren't easily swayed. You would be discerning so that you may understand what is 
actually excellent. One of the things I've been talking about recently is how reactionary the world is. Let me give you a pro tip here. You live in a reactionary world. Most people aren't going toward anything. There's no form that they're going after. They're just reacting to things. Oh, this happened? Well, I'm going to go over here. This happened? I'm going to go over here. This happened? I'm going to go over here. The whole world is reactionary. The humanistic world is incredibly reactionary. But that's not who you're called to be. You're the kind of people, if you're in Christ, that know the sovereign and eternal and wise and true God. And so, if you're in Christ, you can actually be the kind of people that are formed that are mature, that have knowledge, that have discernment. Is that true of you? Are you the kind of person that can be manipulated, that's tossed back and forth by whatever the current moment is? The second century church actually illustrates this really well also. Remember the movie Gladiator? Anybody, you know, you know Gladiator, Russell Crowe? Um, I saw a picture of Russell Crowe the other day and it made me feel better that like his past 20 years of, you know, treated him about the same as my past 20 years have treated me. So anyway, but no offense to Russell, but anyway, Gladiator, great movie. Well, you remember the movie Gladiator, it, there's a lot of turmoil in the Roman, that was, that's second century, that, that's the same time. Marcus Aurelius, uh, he was emperor right around the same time as everything I'm talking about here. And, um, and there was turmoil, you remember from the movie, that some people thought that, you know, there was an empirical world. Some people thought that they should, you know, the, the empire should end and that it should go, the rules should go back over to the Senate. And, you know, the same kind of moment that we're in right now, there was a lot of different political uh, aversion going on, people trying to sway people one way or the other. But you know who was not swayed? It really frustrated the Romans this time. The, the Christians would not be loyal to any one group. And people didn't know what to do with that. The Christians wouldn't be loyal to this group or to this group. The Christians always, they they were only loyal to Jesus. They were only loyal to the Lord and it frustrated the world around them. They, They couldn't be swayed. They couldn't be kind of captured by some worldly king. They were only captured by their heavenly king. Now, but here's the deal. Even though they were only loyal to Christ, they were incredibly good citizens. In fact, in a lot of second century writing, the Christians were always commended for being engaged and involved and good and helpful citizens. Man, that is so who I want you to be. People who are formed, you're not tossed around, you're not reactionary about the world, but you're really good citizens. You're engaged, you're nuanced, you're wise, you have knowledge, you understand how these things have implicated your life, that's a sign that the God of the universe, who is sovereign over all, is at work in you and bringing about a completion in you to the praise of his glory. The other thing that we see was true of them, and man, this is, oh, I want this to be true of me and of our church, is that they were pure. They were blameless, is what it says. You know, I don't have to tell you um, a story about a Christian leader whose ministry has been jeopardized because they've not been pure or not been blameless. That, that story gets told all the time. But I just wanna say this to you. It's easy to kind of 
look at Christian leaders and say, oh, they should have done better. But I just want to say, what about you? <laughs> Christ is at work in your life, right? And I just want to ask you right now and ask all of us this, what sin is in your life that's plaguing you from being useful? What sin is that's in your life that's keeping you away from communion with God? What impurity is capturing your heart? What, what, what is it? What is it that's capturing your heart and it's keeping you away from completeness and maturity in the Lord? Oh, that we would be a pure body, striving for one another for obedience, for blamelessness, so that God may use us. And, and once again, the second century actually is a really helpful, it's a helpful model for us. There's this famous letter, I've, I've actually quoted it before, but it's called the letter to Diognetus. It's, a, it's an apologetic about Christianity. It's, a, it's an apologetic. It, 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 evidently what had happened is this guy Diognetus had written a letter to his friend Mephetes basically saying, what's the deal with these Christians? I, I've never met anybody like them. And so this is Mephetes writing back to Diognetus. We don't have Diognetus's initial letter, but we have the reply. And so this guy's explaining Christianity and he says, they obeyed the established laws and surpassed them in their own lives. They love all men as they are persecuted by all. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. Now this, in the Roman world, it was very common to be stingy with your food, but to share your wife. And what I was saying about the Christians here is they were generous with their food. They would give their food to anybody, but they were stingy with their wives. You know, be stingy with your wife, okay? But this was shocking to them. There was purity there. They are dishonored, and yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are evilly, they are evil spoken of them. People spoken, speak of them evilly, but they are vindicated. They're reviled, and yet they bless. They're insulted, and yet they respect Doing good, they're punished as evildoers. Being punished, they rejoice as if they were thereby quickened by life. War is waged against them as aliens by the Jews. Persecution is carried on them by the Gentiles or the Greeks. And yet those that hate them cannot tell the reason of their hostility. They were blameless. And this is the kind of thing that God used to to bring about great glory to himself. These little things, these little things. Don't you see, don't you see none of this is like, and one of them became a Roman senator and one of them was the emperor and one of them, Christians have had days where they've been in great positions of influence, sure. But man, I would argue that these were the Christians of great influence, why? Because they believed and not the things that man says are big deals. Power, influence, wealth. They said, wealth, the God of the universe, the one who is sovereign a billion miles that way is the Lord of my life. And he has called me and he is working in me and he is producing a completeness and maturity in me. And the final thing that was true of them is just this the fruit of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness that, that happened as God reigned in their life. God's righteousness in their lives, doing the work of Christ, having the character of Christ. 
You know, one of the things I love about the second century church, as I just said, they were faithful with the small things. It's the second century church that paved the way for the third and fourth century church that ended up having a lot of global influence. But these guys did it. They were kind of outsiders. They kind of had nothing. And yet they were incredibly faithful with the small things. They had the long view. I just want to say, is that true of you? Do you ever think, what decision am I making today and how's it going to impact what's going to happen in 150 years, you know? What decision am I making today? How's it going to impact what's going to happen to my children after me and their children and their grandchildren? How am I leveraging my life in such a way that there's, there's a long-term pattern of faithfulness? You know, that's, that's kind of how God's economy works. You ever notice there's a lot of like plant analogies in the Bible, a lot of a lot of stories about trees. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, trees. You're like, oh gosh, a tree. You know, we want the immediate, right? You're like, I want, I want one good worship service and then I'll be ready to go, do great things for what I want something powerful. I want something immediate. I want something fast. And the Bible's like, no, be like a tree. Starts off as this little seed and has to be watered and fertilized and sunlight over and over and over and over again. But you know what that produces? Something strong and lasting and fruitful and powerful. Do you have the long view on your life? Do you have the long view on what God is doing in your life? Are you faithful with those little things? You know, even in the Bible where there's big things, you think of like Paul. On the road to Damascus, Jesus met him. This big, powerful moment. Saul, the great persecutor of the church, is, is turned into Paul, the great witness for Christ. It's an amazing story. You know what happened after that? Paul went out to go and give his life to study and preparation for 14 years. That's a long graduate degree. 14 years he went and was faithful in the small thing, in the quiet place of study and of thought and of prayer. And then, of course, God used him in this big way. That's kind of the pattern of Scripture. Faithful in the small things. Why? How can you be faithful in the small How can you have such a long approach? You know why? Because you actually believe that the God of the universe, who is sovereign over all things, is at work in you and will be faithful to use you and your life for the sake of his glorious and eternal purpose. So we've looked at who you are and what God is doing, but finally, and I'll, I'll go quick here, how does God do it? It's kind of the most important part. How does it happen? How does God do this in you? Well, there's a clue in verse 6. It says, he who began a good work in you. Now, the you there is a plural you. It's one of the things we talked about this week at our little conference, the, the corporate nature of sanctification. He who began a good work in you all. <laughs> this is where we're actually, actually the English language would be helped by a second person plural word, we in the South have figured it out, right? He who began to work in y'all. How is God working? How do you know where God's working? How, how is God manifesting himself? How is God bringing about maturity? You know how he's doing it? He's doing it in you all. 
He's doing it in his church. He's doing it in you all. You want to you be mature? You want to grow in Christ? Connect with the body. Be a part of the body. Be engaged with one another. This is where God is at work. This is where God is moving. You want to grow in love? You want to grow in love? You want your love to abound all the more? You've got to have somebody to love. You've got to have a body that you're a part of. And I'm, just, I'm not just talking about the friends of yours that are just like you, that you kind of choose. No, I'm talking about I'm in this community. There's going to be people here that are hard. There's going to be people that are different from me, but I am committed to them. And I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to honor them as someone that God is working in, working through. You want to grow in uh, your knowledge and discernment. You know what you need? You know where theological error always happens like 100% of the time? You know where theological error happens? You know where people don't have knowledge and discernment? Is when they get isolated. It, it usually happens when there's some leader and he or she or whoever becomes kind of bigger than correction. <laughs> Somebody's like, well, they're saying that. It sounds a little weird, but I better not say anything because, I mean, after all, it's them. That's a dangerous place to be. And it, it can happen at a big level. It can happen at a little level. You're going to get into theological error. If, 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 if you're not talking about the Word of God in community, if you're not in a body of believers that's pursuing the Word, you're going to believe a lot of weird stuff. You're not going to be discerning. You're not going to be knowledgeable. You're going to be easily swayed. You're going to be reactionary. You want to be pure? You want to be pure? You know, you know where impurity happens? You know where, you know where sin happens? It happens in the darkness. It doesn't happen when you're known. It doesn't happen when you're vulnerable. The light overcomes the darkness. So run into the light. Run into community. Be known. Be a part of a family of believers. You want to be fruitful? How are you going to be fruitful by yourself? <laughs> How much fruit are you actually going to produce just you? No, it doesn't work that way. No, we're most effective when we're a part of the body. This is the analogy Paul gives. The, the hand is of little value unless it's connected to the arm, unless it's connected to the eyes, unless it's connected to the legs. That's when the hand really gets going, and that's when you'll really get going. And that's when everything that the world says that's big, that is that, that is so, we're so prone to be captured by, that's when all those things start to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And everything that God says is big, that the world so ignores, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we really believe that the God of this universe is at work. I'm gonna tell you this. We live in a humanistic world, okay? And here's what humanism is gonna tell you. This is what humanism tells you. It says, you're the king. You can be the king of your own empire, but here's what it doesn't tell you. You know how big that empire is? It's about as big as a skull on the top of your head. That's the kingdom, that's the kingdom that humanism promises you. A little skull-sized kingdom sitting around on the top of your head. You can be lord of that if you want to, but you know what that is? That's nothing. <laughs> that's so small, that's so weak. But God in Christ has called you to be a part of an eternal kingdom, an eternal people that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, has gathered up, has called to himself. This is the promise of Christ. And he makes that possible to us by 
by dying on the cross for us and by living a righteous life in our place so that we can come into this kingdom, this kingdom that we are not worthy of, we can come into this kingdom as the very sons and daughters of God in Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to reject the small and pitiful little kingdoms of this world that are so pathetic if you really stop and think about them? And don't you want to be a part of what God is doing? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the door. He's the invitation in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this call to maturity for the church. I pray that as we run to Christ today, as we look to Jesus today, we would look to his bride. We'd find our place as his bride, as, as among his people, that we'd love one another, that we would form one another and be discerning together, that we would pursue purity and fruitfulness with one another, and that you would do all of this in us, mature us, Lord. This little church that we're so grateful for, and we're so grateful that you've been at work in us. Lord, continue to mature us. Continue, continue to conform us into the image of Jesus. May, may all of these little visions and hopes that we have be for that, that he who has begun a good work would just continue it and complete it for the sake of the glory of Jesus and his Father. For you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. But as we close today, we're going to worship, and there's, there's a lot to meditate on. Um, and I just want to make myself available. I'll be standing over here at these doors. Lou and some of our other pastors will be with us. We'd love to connect with you right now as we sing or after the service. One of the little features that we have that's a great way to connect with the pastors, we call it just a text-to-pastor line. If there's a question or comment you have, we'll get those. We'll try to get back to you within you know, 24 hours, but that's available on your bulletin. And I do just invite you just to continue to begin this journey with us, to be praying, what is God going to do in the next two years of the life of our church? So let's meditate on all of these things. If you'll stand, Jordan's gonna lead us as we respond.